Well, it's good to see you tonight. We are going through Philippians on Wednesday night. We are still in chapter 1 as we study the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. So if you'll join me in Philippians chapter 1, we'll begin tonight by reading verses 15 through 26. The Bible says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that, which, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I will not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Amen. So Paul, he's under house arrest in Rome, having been arrested in Jerusalem and appealed Unto Caesar, he's now waiting to stand trial before Nero. And he says in verse 12 that he knows he's here for the, uh, the furtherance of the gospel. His circumstance is as bad as it would seem for many of us. Paul's mindset was, I know I'm in God's will and I know I'm here to get the gospel out. And those within Caesar's household were receiving the word of God. They were being saved and there was confidence growing in other believers there as Paul would proclaim the gospel, they would become emboldened in giving the gospel as well, seeing Paul's confidence. And Paul says some, some are preaching out of right motive, some are preaching out of wrong motive, some are preaching out of envy and strife and contention, but Paul's perspective was, whether in pretense or in truth, I'm just glad that the gospel is being preached. Amen. And he says, and I will rejoice. I'm going to rejoice just because I know that Christ is being preached and people were being saved. You see, Paul didn't get distracted by others who were preaching out of wrong motives and seeking to add to the affliction of Paul's bonds because he knew that the saints in Philippi were praying for him and that he had the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He understood this, God is in control and God's going to sort it all out one day, and that's not really my job to have to deal with. Amen. I wish more Baptists could learn that. Amen. Uh, I, I joke, but I'm serious. I'm, I don't want to pastor anybody else's church. Amen. <laughs> I don't have to give you my opinion on everything. Um, but anyway, Paul here, he's staying focused. He had come to learn that whatever God called him to, that he would supply all of his needs in Christ. No matter the situation, Paul learned to be content, which is something we'll see in more detail once we get to chapter 4. So in about a year and a half. Amen. Uh, so we closed last week in verse 20 
where Paul's desire was to magnify Christ. He believed what he wrote in Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And with that, let's pick up where we left off last week at the very end of verse 20, but I'll read all of the verse. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Wow. Paul isn't concerned about himself. Whether his imprisonment leads to an eventual release or if he is killed at the hands of wicked men for his faith, Paul's aim is to glorify Christ. To magnify Christ means to extol Him. It means to show how great He is. And obviously it means to enlarge Christ. And Paul, it doesn't matter the consequences. He says, I just want to magnify Christ. Whether I live or whether I die, You see, Paul had already looked down the road and saw what awaited him in the future. He saw eternity in his mind. Whether he was going to be exonerated or executed, Paul is at peace with God. If I live or if I die, it doesn't matter. And he's anxiously awaiting to stand before Nero. And he was going to speak the truth in love and whether he walked out or whether he went on to be beheaded as he would eventually be uh, down the road, I think. He was ready for either. He had looked ahead to the day that he would stand before Christ. And it was more important to Paul to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, than to have the approval of man. And if someone had to die... Then Paul says, I'll die. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel, he wrote in Corinthians. You know, I think of that footage. I think most of us have probably seen when the soldiers, the American soldiers are storming the beaches in World War II. I think that should be required footage for every American to watch. And as they are on those boats and they come ashore and they drop down that front of those boats. I don't, sorry, I don't know Navy terms. They storm that beach and as you watch that footage, you can see some dropping as they get shot. And they just flooded that beach. And that was just the first part. They would still have to scale the cliffs to get up to the Nazis that were shooting at them. How heartbreaking it is to watch that scene, that footage. What caused them to have such bravery? You know what it was? They had looked to the future. They had looked and they had beheld what life would be like being controlled by Nazi fascists. And they had seen the contrast of that with American freedom. They saw both of those worlds. 
And they would rather die than have their children live under a dictatorship. You see, the cause was greater than their own lives. And they believed in death before dishonor. And if someone had to die, then they had to die. But somebody had to storm that beach. How about you? Are you too afraid of what the consequences might be? Do you hesitate to share the gospel with your coworkers? Are you too concerned about what others may think about you? Listen, nobody's gunning us down right now. I know things are getting worse. We're here tonight in freedom still. What is our problem? You know, you've been placed at your work. You've been placed there by God to magnify Christ. If you are too afraid to speak up and make Christ known, then there are typically two reasons why. One, you are not living right, and you know if you speak up, you're going to bring reproach upon the name of Christ. Because even people that have never been in church are going to think, that's not how a Christian is supposed to be living. Whether their expectation is right or wrong. That could be the reason. Or two, you haven't really looked to the future yet. It's because you're not living godly in this present evil world. Then, if that's the reason why, I should say, then you know what you have to do. You have to get your heart right. Amen. You have to be right with God. You have to live righteously. But if you aren't motivated to extol Christ to all those around you, then you need to consider what lies ahead one day. We will stand before God. And we will give an account. And He will reward accordingly. Do you want God to be pleased with you or not? See, don't live for the temporal. It's so short, right? Live with eternity in view. People get too concerned with the earthly consequences that it clouds their view of the heavenly rewards. Whose approval do you want more? God's or man's? And I think we all come to that tipping point in our life where we make that decision. I can remember when it was for me. When Charlie Streamer looked at me at work and said, I didn't know you were a Christian. Man, that cut me deep. Then, of course, God sent us to Korea right after and got a hold of us. And I knew I wanted God's approval more than man's. You say, but it's going to cost me. Yep. I mentioned recently, it cost me in the military to speak up. God still met my needs. I still got promoted. I might have lost some things and some privileges along the way, but you know what? I'd rather have God smile than man smile. And listen, I'm not talking about being ugly. Amen. We don't have to be jerks. But I'm just talking about making a stand for Christ and giving the gospel. Stay faithful to Christ. He died for you. It may cost me my life. It might. Stay faithful. You see, we're here for the Lord's pleasure to bring glory to God. The Bible says in Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. We are here for the Lord's pleasure. 
And so Paul says with all boldness that Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whether I live or whether I die, I have one end goal, and that is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. Circumstances may change in life. Let me rephrase that. Circumstances will change in life. But you know who never changes? God. And so even though circumstances change, the outcome, uh, uh, the, the, our hope in our life doesn't change, and that is to glorify God. So let the circumstances change. You know what? It doesn't change what you should have been doing when the circumstances were good. That's living for Christ and bringing glory to Him. Amen. And Paul could stand with all boldness because he knew the Lord wasn't going to fail him. We talked about that last week. God never failed him in life and he knew that God would not fail him in death. Now some would suppose that being killed for your faith is proof of God failing them. But if we believe in this book, and if we understand what awaits us as God's children, then we would know God doesn't fail us at death either. How is it that death can magnify Christ? I believe it shows to others that there is something greater than themselves. That we're not just living for ourselves. People think we're crazy already, amen? We worship a God we don't see. And most of us here tonight, I believe, we're, we're even giving money to a God we don't see. That's lunacy to the world. Amen. So how is it that dying in Christ magnifies Christ? I believe it shows that there is a peace that passes all understanding. When somebody is threatened with death and having to deny their faith, when somebody's threatened that way and they still make that stand and they're gunned down or they're beheaded or whatever the case is, it's got to make that person think. I mean, something has to stir up within them and say, my goodness. It doesn't make sense that a man can be bound to a stake and lit on fire and sing praises to God as he dies. But that's what happened. Led to the Reformation and to us having our King James Bible burned at the stake for their faith, sitting in prison, knowing that at day at dawn, they're going to go out there and they're going to be burned alive. But oh, how it magnified Christ. Look at what transpired after that. We could list so many examples of how Christ has been magnified in the death of others, and I encourage you to read books about those who have been martyred for their faith. You have one here, by the way. But one most of us are familiar with is the mission work to reach the Aka Indians in the rainforest of Ecuador. After several months of making contact by airplane, lowering gifts, five men, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Udarian. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. They decided to make personal contact with the tribe that they had been communicating with through lowering these buckets. They wanted to win them to Christ. And if you're familiar with the story, you know they landed on that sandbar, and I think it was five days later. They all were killed by the very people they were hoping to reach. And without taking time to outline it all, the 
By the way, let me just back up for a minute. Everybody just thought, what a waste. Not everybody, but... How is it that these men are cut down in the prime of their life? They've got wives. They've got children. And, and without getting into all the details, I'll, I'll tell you that some of the wives came back. I know for sure that Jim Elliott's wife and Nate Saint's wife, they went back and they became missionaries down there. And as a result of this, these men dying, they were reaching not only the tribe, but some of the tribe members that killed those five men. What happened? Christ was magnified. Not only in their life, but we could say more so in their death. Much more was accomplished as a result of their death than was accomplished in their life. And it's all because they magnified the Lord. It doesn't make sense to the lost world to give your life to those who will only kill you. But as you, you know, they found a quote written in Jim Elliott's diary. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And with that, look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I don't know if you mark your Bibles, but you may consider writing to the side of this verse, Christ, my life. This verse is the genuine Christian experience. Christianity does not mean that we have this religious awareness about a man named Jesus who lived back there 2,000 years ago. But true Christianity is a life-transforming relationship with God Almighty. It changes our desires. It changes our course in life. It, it, it makes us re-examine where we're heading, what we're doing, and makes us say, I want my life to count for God. Christianity is not some esoteric experience. It isn't just some idea or some philosophical idea out there. But, and it's not just for old timers, amen? I've got nothing better to do in my retirement. Let's go up to the church and we have coffee before Sunday school. No, listen, when you truly come to know Christ and you grow in the Lord, it changes your life. It hits every area of life, every stage of life. There's a lot to be gleaned from this verse. One is that this is an equation, if you will. You can't have the last half of this verse unless you have the first half of this verse. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You're not going to get gain at death unless you first are having Christ. And so you have to examine your life and think about what is my life's pursuit? What is it I have given my efforts to? If it's anything other than Christ, and I'm not talking about taking care of your family and providing for your family and all those things. I'm talking about those things that become your God in your life. Amen. If it's anything other than Christ, then the second half of this verse can't be true. Take whatever your life is about and replace Christ with it in verse 21. And you'll find that death cannot be gain. For me to live is monetary success. Well, then you're not going to have gain at your death. Isn't that right? 
The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Mark 8, 36 and 37, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? No amount of monetary success or financial gain can ever save your soul. You're not going to take anything with you when you die. Therefore, there would be no gain in your death. For me to live is to be remembered for making an impact in my career field. What's that going to gain you in, in the next life? I kind of chuckled about this because for some reason I got to thinking about who started the Save the Whale movement. Does anybody know? Exactly. Well, that got me off track, amen. Just think about all the advancements through humanity. How many people can you name as being the ones who made the biggest impact in their field? What does it gain you in death then? If man doesn't even remember you, for me to live is to be a superior athlete. Guess what? Let enough time pass and men will forget you. It's such a short window of ability anyhow. For me to live is to have great health. Let enough time pass and your body will start to break down. And you will eventually die. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Amen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Unless the Lord returns first. For me to live is to eat, drink, and be merry. So what if you experience all that life has to offer? What is it going to gain you when you're dead? You know, Solomon tried everything. He found that it was all vanity. It was all emptiness when all was said and done. And his conclusion was, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. What do any earthly pursuits gain us in light of eternity? Whatever your reason for life is, if it's placed over Christ, then to die won't be gain in that pursuit. Now, listen, there's nothing evil about having monetary success. Aren't you glad? I pray that the Lord would send some monetary successful people into our church or at least hit the give button on the website or something. God's not against you having monetary success. God's not against you making a lasting impact in your field of study or being a great athlete or taking care of your body's physical health or even enjoying the labor of your hands. But does that focus of your life override magnifying Christ? Will it be gain when you die? So there's only one way we see that the equation here in verse 21 actually works. If you're going to die with gain, then you must have the first half of this verse. You must live for Christ. Now let's break this down just a little bit here. For to me to live is Christ, we see that it's personal. For to me. This isn't corporal in applying this verse tonight. It's not that for me to be in Liberty Baptist Tabernacle is gain when I die. It's a personal thing. Belonging to a church, even if it's a great church, isn't going to cut it. But you must have a personal walk with the Lord. You must accept Him personally. Your heritage isn't going to cut it. Well, my parents were great Christians. I'm glad they were, but are you? 
do you have that personal relationship with the Lord? Not your church membership. membership. And listen, not even what you've done for the Lord for that matter. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It's amazing how that turns to iniquity. And so we see it's possible to preach in Christ's name. It's possible to cast out demons in Christ's name. It's possible to do many wonderful works in Christ's name and not know Him. And it never had become personal. And then all that stuff isn't going to matter. But you have to know Him. Paul knew the Lord personally. And I hope you do too. He must be your personal Savior. We come to Christ on a personal level. It's a relationship that we enter into where there is fellowship one with the other. Some of you were raised in church before you were saved. I'm in that company. But there came a day when it became to me. For to me to live. There came a point where it hit you. And it became personal all of a sudden. And you accepted Christ as your Savior. You bought the truth that your parents had been giving you. Next it says to live. Being in Christ and saying we have a relationship with Him is a living relationship. It's not something where we prayed a prayer once upon a time or maybe we were baptized as a child or we had some emotional experience once that we're hanging on to. But we are walking in the light as He is in the light. It's personal. It's active. Our lives are to be lived for Christ. We don't just get saved and then drift back out into our own desires. But we surrender ourselves to the Lord. And we tell Him, you can do with my life whatever you see fit. We yield ourselves to Him and we allow Him to have full control of our lives. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, the very reason we exist is because of Christ. The whole reason for me being allowed to breathe in God's air is to live for Christ. Jesus said, for without me, ye can do nothing. We can't even inhale our next breath without Him. He is owed our allegiance. There's no life apart from Christ. In Him is life. We cannot exist without Him. We cannot have salvation without Him. Our physical life and our spiritual life are all thanks to Christ. He came to give life and to give it more abundantly. For to me to live, it's a daily walk 
with Christ. We don't get to hit pause. We don't get to take time off. This is all the time. Relationship. It would be kind of goofy if you got married and then told your wife, after I do, I'll see you next Sunday. She may not like that, Ben. Daily. We must be about our Father's business. We must read His Word. We must pray. We must give. We must attend church. We must witness to others. It is our reasonable service. And what I just gave you is Christianity 101. And then we see that for me to live is Christ. It's all about Him. It's all about Christ. We have to learn to die to self. We must take up our cross and follow Him. It's not about us. We have to die to our, crucify ourselves. We have to die daily. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2 says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So what does Christ want out of your life? What is God's will for your life tonight? Are you doing that? Or are you still living for self? Dr. Vogelin always said, find the will of God and do it. For the Apostle Paul, Christ wasn't something he took part in. But Christ was his reason for living. What he did, he did with Christ and eternity in view. Can you say that you're doing the same thing tonight? Unfortunately for many, Christ is someone who just gets their attention on Sundays. Or when life takes an unexpected turn. It's good to see you in church. What happened that went bad in your life? Why then shouldn't we work with eternity in view? Why is the world so alluring? Paul had looked to the future and he concluded that whatever this life had to offer, it was going to be nothing compared to what was going to be in the next. A far more exceeding weight of glory. And because Paul understood the first half of this verse, uh, verse, he could look forward to death. Isn't that goofy? I'm not saying he hastened death. Amen. I heard a preacher one time out of South Carolina. He said, uh, he said, a Christian can talk about dying like they go and get a cheeseburger. It's not that big a deal. Christ was His all and was in all. The problem so many have is they tie all of their joy to this earth. Right? Everything is surrounding their possessions here, their family here, their everything that's upon this earth. They have set their affections on things below. So where's the joy in departing then? We'll consider this more when we get to verse 23. But if all of our joy is earthly, then how can one really believe that to die is gain? If everything is here, where's the joy in departing? Because if I depart, I'm going to have to leave all this behind. If all of your identity is here upon this earth, then the prospect of dying doesn't sound too appealing. 
But for the child of God who is sold out for God, the day of death becomes a crowning day when our faith will become sight. Therefore, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19-21, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And it's not that we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, but it's that we become so earthly minded we're no heavenly good. Lay up treasures in heaven. You know, when life wasn't so easy and so comfortable as it is now, people used to talk about heaven like they really looked forward to going there. I can take you to some places in South Appalachia where that's still true. And you'll hear, you'll hear fiery sermons on heaven. And people are excited about it. They don't have much in this life. But now we have it so well, it seems, that we just kind of say, well, that'll be neat to see the pearly gates. Cool. It would seem we want everything so perfect down here in this life now because we really don't want to go up there. Is everybody okay? If we really believe this verse and the following verses, then there would be no reason to fear COVID-19. For me to die is gain. There'd be no reason to fear giving the gospel to others. There'd be no reason to fear the horrible changes in our country's direction. In Matthew 10, 28, it says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. When we truly believe that to die is gain, then nothing will deter us. We can face the enemy, even with the bullets flying at us, knowing that the worst thing they can do to us is to cause us to experience the greatest gain we will ever know. So in closing, how are you doing with this verse? Is Christ in His rightful place in this verse? Or has something come over top of that? Have you replaced Christ? Are you living for Christ? Is it personal? Is it daily? How's your relationship with Him? Listen, this verse is available to all and is attainable by all. Just give your life to Him. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's go forth boldly. Let's pray.